Welcome to Advancing Our Church. I'm Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so grateful that you've joined me here on this podcasting journey. I'm going to be honest. We put a lot of time into these episodes to find the right guests to make sure that this conversation for you is worthwhile. And what I do is I look for people who are making an impact around the church, around the country, around the world. And this book came across my desk because of a classmate that had recommended it to me. And as I read it, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And and these four models that, that Susan proposes in the book to create a way forward really speak to the fact that we are living in a post-Christian world. And I think most of us have not really comprehended what that means to live in a post-Christian world. It's a topic that I'd like to continue to address this year because it impacts everything that we do, everything, our mission, fundraising, ministry, finances, you name it. And so we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But first, as I said before, you guys make this journey worthwhile. I do this all for you. And I'm just so grateful for the ways that you share, that you encourage, that you suggest different topics, and that you listen to this podcast. It means the world to me. So thank you so much for that. And we've got a lot of great episodes in store for us in 2023, as I said in our in our last episode together. As we speak now in, in this last week of January, a lot's happening out there in the economy. And if you're not keeping an eye on it, I am certain that you are feeling it. I just sat down and I finished my monthly bills and my car insurance is increasing. My internet bill is increasing. My electric bill went up something like 30%. It's ridiculous. Everything is just chipping away at the budget. And we need to keep that in mind, I think, when we're talking with our donors. For example, if you're making a big fundraising ask and you're talking with a family that is normally very supportive and you've been waiting for an answer for a while, there could be some financial reasons behind that. It might not be because they're not committed to your project or to your mission. So you need to give that a little bit more time. Give them time to kind of focus in and and see where these markets are headed. But I want to focus in on you guys just for a moment because things are tough. And as I said, no one really knows where the markets are going or when they're going to pick up again. In fact, many people are speculating whether the market has hit the bottom or if we have further to go down. And I'm sure that you've seen that reflected in your own retirement uh, packages as as you watch your stocks and, and your 401k go down. The Fed is going to be meeting this week and deciding on whether they're going to make another rate hike. And some folks are speculating whether Jerome Powell is going to back off his rate increases or continue. And I think it's anyone's guess. But He seems bound and determined to fix this problem, and he's been very transparent that there's going to be some financial pain along the way. And I think that's what we're all feeling right now, and it could get a lot worse before it gets better. So what am I doing? And this is not financial advice, but I just wanted to share, I'm trying to stay nimble. I think it's better to have more cash on hand these days, so I'm keeping a close eye on unnecessary expenses. I'm not overextending myself. I always pay off my credit card debt. If you're in credit card debt, there are places that can help you reduce that and pay it off faster because there is nothing that's more crushing than credit card debt and it impacts millions of families every year. So one of the other things that I've done recently, actually this past weekend, is I took a bunch of stuff back to the store that we got for Christmas and we decided not to use or it just wasn't a good fit for us. And We had a gift receipt with it. And, you know, it's not that we didn't like the gifts or appreciate the gifts. It's just, it's the kind of thing that, yeah, this is great, but I'm probably going to put it in a closet or I'm probably not going to use it moving forward. This does not apply to any of the kids' gifts that they gave me, by the way. 
but I did take a few things back and that's just important. You know, it puts a couple more bucks back in the bank and I bank that and I save it for a future expense because they always come up, let's face it. So think about that. This Again, this is not financial advice. This is not a financial podcast. But if you like this kind of content and you'd like to hear more of it, not necessarily just from me, but from others who could really bring some financial perspective, let me know. Because part of the mission of this podcast is also finance. And I hope that it's also going to be helping us be better ministers, better advancers of the mission of our church. So we're going to make that a little bit of our focus this year. So drop me a comment if you'd like to hear more of that. I want to take just a moment to thank our sponsor, Changing Our World, for being on this podcasting journey with us. Changing Our World, of course, as you know, is a fundraising and social impact consulting firm, and they've been around for over 20 years advising nonprofits and corporations. And if you're thinking about a capital campaign, or maybe you just need a little bit of fundraising advice, I hope you'll visit them at changingourworld.com. They would be happy to have a no-obligation phone call with you just to discuss your fundraising needs and see if there's some way that they could help you to create further engagement with your donors or increase your fundraising results. Again, you can find them at changingourworld.com. And now, let's get to work. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Susan Windley-Douse, the author of The Four Ways Forward, Becoming an Apostolic Parish in a Post-Christian World. Susan is married to her husband, Jerry, and is a mother to five children. She taught college and undergraduate theology for 22 years until, and I quote her, Jesus Christ knocked her out on the head and called her to focus on evangelizing the lost. And let me tell you, she's gotten very good at it. She serves the Diocese of Winona, Rochester, Minnesota, as the Director of Missionary Discipleship. And if you like her work, she has three other books on evangelization. I will leave links to Susan and her books and her bio in our podcasting notes. But for now, here is Dr. Susan Windley-Doust. Well, welcome to Advancing Our Church. Welcome, Susan. So great to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. So today we're talking about the four ways forward, becoming an apostolic parish in a post-Christian world. And as I said to you when we were talking a little bit before we started to record I first became aware that this book was coming out in my previous diaconate class this past semester, and it was recommended to me by a classmate. And what I loved about it is just the honesty, the frankness that you bring to this and helping to set the stage for those of us who are either preparing to go into ministry or those who are seasoned professional ministers for a long time. But, you know, one of the key things I think that you really touch on, and maybe one of the themes of this book, is that the the mission field has really changed, right? It's so much different from... The, the church that we grew up in. So maybe we could just start a little bit by setting the table. Just tell us, Susan, a little bit about how do you see that the, the mission field for us as parish ministers has, has changed? Yeah, and I, I think that's absolutely so key because when I began the work that I do now, which I'm director of missionary discipleship for the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. Prior to that, I was a college professor for over two decades. One of the things that I realized pretty darn quickly was that there are very few people who are truly against evangelization. They may be a little unnerved by the word and what it means. They, they may have to unpack that a little bit. But when you talk to people in ministry, of course they want people to know Jesus, right? Right, sure, <laughs> and that's And they want the to fall more <laughs> deeply in love with him. And they want people who have never heard the, uh, the name of Jesus to know, you know, who he is. And it, he loves them and has a, an incredible plan for their life. But what they're usually a little flat-footed on really is this mission field change, because all of us have grown up, um, with the exception of our very youngest generation, 
in a very different context than the one that we're increasingly facing. You know, if anybody's familiar with Monsignor James Shea's book from Christendom to Apostolic Mission, I, I think that's just a brilliant little book. And it is actually pretty little. It's a pretty quick read, but he does such a great job of historically pointing out, it's like, you know what, sometimes the church is in a field where it can be a Christendom church. And that is, it's not so much that the church is all about the about running the culture, right, or in charge of the culture, but there's a Christian imagination that's operative in the culture. And sometimes the church is operating in an apostolic mode where really the culture doesn't know what Christianity is. That kind right. of imagination is not there. You can't presume anything. It's like, and honestly, that's where we're increasingly at. We've got so many people, this whole rise of the nuns, people who are checking the none of the above box on the religious affiliation surveys. And they're not typically hostile to Christianity. They're not atheist even. They're usually theist, but they don't know who Jesus Christ is. They don't know, you know, what the church brings to bear. They don't know the Christian tradition and they don't see any great advantage in learning. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it may not, they may not be hostile, but there is an awful lot of news out there in the culture that doesn't encourage them to come and see. So that really changes our evangelization strategy, or at least it should. Right. And that's yeah. what I figured out pretty quickly when I came into this position. And the more people understand that, it's almost like we took our church and within about two decades and maybe less, we plopped it like it was in a different country, the better. And if that's overstatement, okay, but it's closer to the truth than not. I, that's I, our challenge. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I think you make the point in the book, that's the world that the apostles initially come, came into, right? right? And right. they didn't have all the structure, the tradition and understanding that we have. I mean, they <laughs> they had a better experience. They got to experience Christ personally, but we have many of those pieces in place. And maybe now it's also just a time to to kind of get back to basics on that, on becoming an, an apostolic parish. Exactly, exactly. I mean, th that's the good news, right? Is that right. Right, we've done this before, right? And we mm -hmm. even have Book of Acts, honestly, as a playbook, uh, as well as the early church, as well as many other periods of church history. This has happened before. We, we kind of go back and forth, honestly, in terms of where we land as an, in an apostolic mode or in a Christendom mode. But the first real thing we need to do is recognize we're in an apostolic mode. And that's right. very different than the church, the, the parish atmosphere and culture that we grew up with and that we loved because we stayed True. with it, right? And that's why we're here today, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's hard yeah. to say, it's like, but I loved this and it worked for me. And why isn't it working for them? You know, the reality is we need to sort of take a big cup of coffee and drink it and look at these numbers like it's not working for a lot of people. It's like, God bless that it worked for us, right? But if we really want to be able to share the good news that has changed our lives, we really need to look again at it's like, okay, how do I present this to people who don't have the advantages that I had to are frankly living in a different world in which I grew up in. And I think I had some advantage in this just because, like I said, I did teach as a college professor for over two decades. I was mostly teaching 18 and 19 year olds. And I really had a front row seat to this change. 
because I would have them write these spiritual autobiographies. It was an option for a class that I taught every semester. And most of them took me up on it. And these spiritual autobiographies were intense and beautiful and good and honest. But they also changed over those 20 years to being, you know, mostly Christian. (laughs) You know, I mean, everybody's kind of learning their way into being an adult when they're 18 and 19, but definitely really open to the Christian worldview, would identify as a Christian to by the time that I left, they simply weren't. I mean, a few were, but most weren't. And this was at a Catholic university, you know? (laughs) That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) It was incredible. And it was something that we talked about amongst ourselves all the time within my department. It's like, what the heck is happening here? But it really took me the moment of walking outside of the college doors into the church to sort of see the bigger picture here to see what was happening in our parishes and our culture, because, you know, colleges can be a little bit of a bubble. There's no question about it, but it gave me a great, it gave me an insight being at the college level to see the young people and to have the privilege of hearing, you know, how they were seeing the world consistently twice a year for 20 years. So there's that. Not everybody has that advantage. I I find that people who are really involved in youth ministry and have been for years, they're good people to talk to because they saw this happen too. Mm -hmm. That's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I have three kids in college, all all at that age. And so, and it's not, you, you talk about presuming that folks are initiated, but we're not necessarily We're not necessarily working with those, even those who are coming to church aren't necessarily initiated or feeling connected to their faith. And kids like my own kids who who came up through Catholic school have questions that are even more basic than what we would expect from students who maybe had 12 years of Catholic school or have gone all the way through the faith or even still attending mass today. Right. I mean, there there's something there that's missing. I think there is a lot that's missing. And I think that word is discipleship. The reality is we have a lot of initiated Catholics. That is, you know, Catholics who have received the sacraments of baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation. Those are the sacraments of initiation. They've got them all in hand, but it's like they haven't opened themselves to the powers of those gifts. So they just sort of sit within them, sort of like a closed gift box, right? So they are initiated, but they're not on the path of discipleship. They're not, uh, they have questions, but are they really asking them, (laughs) right? There's a (laughs) difference, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I have a question about this. Well, okay. You know, there are places to go. We we have more information out there about the Catholic Christian faith than we have ever had in human history. It's more accessible than it's been in any point of human history. Part of this is an educational piece, but I think it's bigger than education. It's really about Have you accepted the walk that you are called to take to follow Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And there are paths, right, that that we can talk about that people go through very naturally on that. We've got a rich tradition in this way. But I think we've assumed discipleship for many, many decades when what was really going on was people were Christian and when times were hard, the culture kind of bumped them back on the right road, right? Now the culture is not helping at all. No, (laughs) Our culture is not helping one tiny bit. And in fact, is creating all kinds of challenges. So we see the lack of discipleship. That's, that's part of the engagement, honestly, with this new mission field is being a lot more deliberate 
about what does it mean to be a Christian in the day to day and how could I and should I expect to grow in that faith? And if I'm not growing in that faith, who do I turn to? What do I do? Right? We have the answers to these questions, but parishes tend to assume they're not as live questions as they actually are for a lot of people. They tend to assume that the discipleship is going better for people than it actually is. And it took all these people leaving, you know, really just kind of drifting off. Pandemic, right? People are coming back, but lots of people are not coming back. That's right. a lack of discipleship. That's a lack of discipleship, right? Yep. Certainly, you have to say every person makes his or her own choices. But on the other hand, what are we doing to make sure that they're aware of the choices that they're making? Absolutely. And to make the right choices, right? Right. You know, what are we doing with that? So. Absolutely. You you say in the book that we we've lost our understanding of spiritual warfare. I think that ties into what you're what you're saying here. Tell us yeah. a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's. Well, boy, I could say a lot about that, honestly. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I love about Pope Francis is that he is not shied one bit from the reality of spiritual warfare. And I think this really comes from his background as a Jesuit, because the Jesuits do have a strong history of being able to talk about that within their spirituality. I think spiritual warfare is real. God is bigger and so much bigger and has won the war, but it doesn't mean that there isn't a battle going on every day for our own souls and for the souls of others. And if we don't recognize that, right, not to be afraid of it, but just recognize it, recognize that sometimes that's what's going on. That's a real problem when we try to move a parish towards becoming an evangelizing parish. Because I mean, seriously, who wants more than anything else to stymie a parish into becoming a, an evangelizing parish? Well, that would be the evil one, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> that's directly his against his plans. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you should be expecting right. some kind of pushback, mm -hmm. right? Not to be frightened of it, just to recognize what it is and to turn to God in that moment. But instead, we often get that kind of pushback and just say, it's like, oh, well, see, this isn't going to work. Huh? Well, hmm. that was a kind of successful anti-spiritual moment there, right? <laughs> but I mean, we just don't talk about it all that much. And this is part of the legacy of living in this secular culture is this kind of hesitation around talking about the spiritual world's involvement in our natural sphere. But it's absolutely biblical. It's absolutely within our Christian tradition. It's one of these things I don't want to overstate, but I also want people to be aware of. It's like, if you're not seeing this, you're in trouble as you try to move into becoming a more evangelizing parish and a more apostolic parish. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because your book offers some wonderful, offers the four ways forward, right? And some different yeah. models that pastors and parish communities can consider. And what's interesting maybe to denote as we talk about these different models is that there's not a one size fits all. And it's not, you say some of these, some parishes may choose two, three, or even all four of these or some aspect of it as right. they move forward. But how should a parish go about maybe at the beginning as they consider the model or just new, new strategies? How should they be praying about this when they pray for their new vision? Oh, I'm glad you ended that way. It's kind of, uh, yeah, pray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you know, uh, it's like, uh, don't make a, a super quick decision on this, uh, that 
that's based on, you know, a mailing you get or an email you get. It's like, because there are lots of ways forward, to be honest. And there's lots of programs and processes and opportunities. And many of them are, are really quality, right? They're outstanding. Sure. But if it's right for your parish, if it's the right first step for your parish, you're only going to know that through some serious prayer, you know, for, for some enlightenment about what the next step should be. And also, I would argue some assessment of your parish. You know, it's like a, a, a take a take a hard look at what's going well and what's not going well. And that's, you know, that's a challenging thing to do. But on the other hand, there's really no way you can make a good decision without that in place. Otherwise, you just keep doing the same things over and over again and tweaking them and hoping that that will help. And maybe it does, but usually it doesn't. Usually it doesn't. Right. You need to see what your weaknesses are and to address those weaknesses. That could be a good decision for us. Like, okay, maybe the first thing we need to do in terms of these four different models is focus on this model because that's where we're weakest. On the other hand, we're really strong here. So maybe we should build on our strengths first and then plan to move on to this other model to sort of complement it and that sort of thing. So there are different ways to do it, but I would say prayer and assessment is really the first thing. In your role in the diocese, you do these kinds of assessments. And, and yeah. if somebody doesn't have that resource in their own diocese or locally, how, how would they go about kind of assessing? What are the what are the key? Per, well, it's, a, it's a business term, but what are the key performance indicators for you that you're looking at to kind of help you measure uh, how the parish is doing? It's a great question. You know, I think there are tools that are out there, just for the record. But I would say one of the biggest things that you need to do is you need to try to assess the level of discipleship that's operating in your parish with people who are there every Sunday. Okay. So people who make the October counts, right? Right. <laughs> not just people who are registered. I mean, not that you don't care about them, but you want to you want to sort of assess the discipleship of your core, right? Of the people who are showing up. Because these are your evangelists. Right. The evangelist is not the priest, although it includes the priest. It's not the person who's the director of evangelization, although kudos to your parish if you have one. It's the call of all the baptized and the people who are showing up right, right. <laughs> every Sunday. Yeah, they're the ones who have basically answered the call to grow in their faith. Now, they may not realize that that's why they're there, but they have answered the call, at least at some level. So. Assessing their discipleship is going to be a good first move. And there's lots of ways that you could do this. You could do this by simply you know, pulling together a bunch of people from your parish, try to get a good scope going on there in terms of age, young, old. You know, if it's a bilingual parish, definitely, you know, both English and Spanish or whatever the second language is. Try to get it to be as representative as possible and then just ask some questions about prayer life? Are you praying every day? Right? How close do you feel in your relationship to Jesus? You know, just listen for a little bit. And if you're thinking, it's like, well, that's not going to be easy to quantify. It's like, you're right, because discipleship is not easy to quantify. But on the other hand, these conversations, if you go into them, and you're really honest about listening to the conversation. It's not just picking on, it's like, oh, that person said one really good thing, so we're doing great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the scope there. Yes. Yep. And then end it by saying, it's like, what do you need to move forward in your faith? Because we all need to move forward in our faith. Nobody's there, okay? 
You know, right. even the saints would have said and did say, it's like, we're not there, right? They knew they had growth. So we certainly have growth. And listen to that too. Listen to that too. So, I mean, it could be focus groups. It could be a survey, which is convenient, but maybe not as helpful in some ways. But, you know, you do what you can do. That, that would be one way of doing that. Assess the discipleship of the parish. And and you also say, as, as you look at, you mentioned, touched on some of the great programs that are out there. And we've had some folks on the show that, that represent some of those programs. But there isn't really a silver bullet, is there, as we kind of look at all of this? As I said before, there's not just one path. There could be several paths, depending upon what you're trying to accomplish. So so being just kind of open to the Holy Spirit and understanding where that process is leading you is probably key. I think so. I mean, absolutely. You have to be open to the Holy Spirit. Sure. Like the Holy Spirit is the key evangelizer. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pentecost gives you a sense of it's like, this is how it's going to work. Maybe it's not going to look exactly like that day in your parish, but we've got apostles and others who are in an upper room and, you know, a little afraid and not entirely sure what the next step was and waiting. And when they received the Holy Spirit, they knew what the next step was and they went everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can't do this without the Holy Spirit. I mean, that should be part of the prayer is honestly right. sure. the discernment prayer should be absolutely prayer to the Holy Spirit. But, you know, the other piece of this assessment, you know, beyond the discipleship level of the parish is really assessing the geographical area in which your parish resides, because the parish exists not for the people who attend but for that geographical area, that's even in canon law, actually, mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. priest is responsible or the pastor is responsible for the spiritual lives of everybody who lives in the boundaries of that parish, whether they attend the Catholic Church or not, whether they identify as Catholic or not. That's quite a responsibility. right? Mm. But it gives you a sense of how our parishes were designed from the very beginning to be evangelical outposts anyway. Right. Right. You know, another beautiful thing from Pope Francis is this language of the church as a field hospital, Mm -hmm. right? So I do say that one of the things that would be so helpful to assess is just to see where are people hurting in our geographical boundaries, right? Because that should be the natural place where we should do first outreach. That should be the natural place where we do first outreach. And obviously that's spiritual hurting, but it's also physical and material hurting, And just inviting people, you know, as we address needs to the best of our ability, inviting people to come and see from that. I mean, it's really how Jesus started his ministry. Okay, Right. Yeah. If you look at the Gospel of Acts, he didn't begin with his great big lecture and talking about his kind. Well, really, people, this is about atonement. And let me tell you how it's going to go down. He kind of left that really for the end of his ministry. Right. Right. What he did first was that he healed people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he <laughs> now, met them where they were at. Of healing? How are we that field hospital in our own geographical area? So that's a really important piece to assess as well. And that's going to help you decide. It's like, oh, this looks like a really good program. But is it what our particular parish is called to do right now, right? Meeting the needs of the people, the spiritual needs of the people for growth and discipleship, or just even introduction to the divine person of Jesus Christ. And really meeting people where they're at, right? If it's in that pain or in that that moment of uh, questioning or or wherever they're at. You talk about one of the paths, one of the first path forward is around radical hospitality, which I just love that 
that yeah. phrase because we need that as a church. I I walk in sometimes to mass and I find everybody is up against the end of the pews and unwilling to even get to climb over people to get in, get a seat. That's not radical hospitality, right? Not to be critical, but it is. No, that's but survivor. It, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> but, it, yeah. But it's just one small example of how are we, even as people of God, making room for the people, the, the person, the young family who might have had a hard time getting to Mass on time, and now they're showing up, and they're probably embarrassed. And I fell into this category many times, trying to get little kids ready for Mass and dealing with you know obstinate little kids sometimes and whatever. But just welcoming them once they arrive, right? And and maybe the cry cry room. We talk about cry rooms. That's a separate topic. But but just making room for them. How do we, as a family or as a yeah, as a parish family, become more radically hospitable? Yeah, it's a huge issue. I, I would mm-hmm. say you know I've never met a parish that has said yeah we're definitely not hospitable. In fact, they're usually going to say that they are. Right. The misunderstanding is the word hospitable. Lots of parishes are going to say they're hospitable when what they mean is we're friendly with people that we know. We're friendly with each other. And hopefully that's the case, right? For sure. Right. Sure. That's a good first step. That's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is generosity to the stranger, right? If we're called to radical hospitality, and I believe that we are strongly, you know, that means that we need to work on thinking about how is our parish going to be welcoming to the stranger, not just the stranger who comes to mass and all the different examples that you gave about, it's like, you know, are people going to give up their pew and not scowl at the person, you know, is the usher going to really be attentive to it's like, Oh, this person's coming in with special needs. Maybe they're going to need particular help. You know, are we really going to welcome people into the space rather than just hand them something? It's like, all right, hi. (laughs) Right. right. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's all of that. But also, how does our parish grounds become hospitable, welcoming to strangers who are not Catholic? Great point. Because yeah. it is a huge ask to ask someone who is not Catholic to attend something at your church as a cold call. Right. We need to have certain things in place that really welcome people to the grounds that is not the mass because honestly the mass is for the initiated right is there mm-hmm. anything going on at your parish that really welcomes people whether they're catholic or not and this could be fun stuff right you know is your festival really for you or is it for your community right but it could also be and i think it should also be spiritual pieces too so you know in the book i talk a lot about alpha and christ life as really preeminent examples of, of really creating a kind of spiritual, radical hospitality. Come as you are, bring your questions. You don't need to stay. You don't need to pay. We're just glad you're here and having a good conversation about who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. You talk about some of the organizations or even some of the parishes that are doing it well, for example, rebuilt, you know, down in Timonium, Maryland. Yeah. It reminds me of from that book, Timonium Tim, right? They talk about this person who is not necessarily connected to the parish or maybe they're in the parish, but they just haven't been able to find their seat there. They're, they haven't been able to find their way in. And it's our job to make ourselves radically hospitable for Timoni and Tim and all of his needs and his family's needs. So yeah, I and guess- I think we built did a great job, honestly, yeah. at talking about how do you create that radically hospitable space by looking at what's going on outside the parish, 
Right. As you mentioned, Timonium Tim. It's kind of like, you know, Tim and Tim's a sort of, if you don't know the book, that, you know, Tim's a fake person. Okay. Right. Sort of an amalgamation of the, of the guy who is married and has two kids and lives in that suburb. Okay. And is not attending. Okay. You know, what is he worried about? It's like he's worried about money. It's like, so they begin offering Financial Peace University, which does have this kind of spiritual, you know, underpinning, but it's not in your face at all. I mean, most people, if they know of it, they know of it. It's like, oh, this is a really fantastically handy program to help get out of debt. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it not only helps them in in some really concrete ways, because I mean, debt's a massive issue for young families, Mm -hmm. but it also gets them in the door and gets them a little bit more comfortable with a little bit of God language. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And the invitation could be so easily made, honestly. It's like they say it's like, oh, this place really helped me. Huh. This looks like a good place to be, you know? I mean, it's those those types of things uh are what I'm talking about when I talk about radical hospitality. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Meeting people where they're can't, at. Can't assume that people will come to us anymore. No. We need right. to reach out to them. So how do we do that? On a topic that may or may not feel like it's connected to evangelization or catechesis, but it's 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 identifying a need in the community and and drawing them into that. Yeah. Yes. So uh, you also talk a little bit about renewing the organizational structure of a parish mm-hmm. and just really uh, there's a, that whole structural piece, which is it's one side of it, the house to be super hospitable, which would be all of our jobs. But then there's that reorganizing the structure of how we do ministry. Tell us a little bit about that approach. Sure. Uh, it's. And this one really needs to be more focused on people who have particular roles, pastors, parish staff, parish councils, finance councils will be involved in this because if you change things structurally, uh, there's going to be financial consequences (laughs) to that. Sure, always are. Yep. Always are. But, you know, it's just so normal for any organization on earth to have mission drift. It really, truly is. We should not shy away from the fact that our parishes can really have mission drift as well and just take a moment in time. And this is a really good moment in time to go ahead and look at that squarely. And, you know, as a as a staff, as a council, maybe all together, really look at like, look, what is our parish called to be in this particular day, in this particular age? You know, look at the new mission field. Look at who's coming. Look at who's not coming. You know, look at your geographical boundaries. Assess the discipleship that's going on inside the parish right now. Who are we called to be? Visualize that God goal, really. Yeah. You know, what God wants for your church, not what you want for your church. It's God's church. (laughs) What God wants for your church. What would the Great Commission look like fulfilled in your parish? You know, do that. Start with the vision. And then from there, you go to the mission because the mission helps you get to the vision. Mm-hmm. Lots of parishes have mission statements. They're almost all bad. Sorry, I'm going to be real, <laughs> real frank. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're, they're not necessarily bad statements. They're just right. not mission statements. Sure. They, they tend to be descriptive in a way that you know could be very lovely and they could be helpful in certain ways. But do they help you get to the vision? It's like, it's pretty rare, to be honest. So really rethinking the mission of the parish in this particular age, in this apostolic age, what does that look like? 
it may mean like shifting things around and putting less attention here and more attention here, right? And I can't get more specific than that because it, then it really does boil down to what's happening in your parish right now. There are lots right. of details in this, but we shouldn't be afraid of addressing mission drift, right? And refocusing mission because the advantages are massive. The advantages are massive. We just keep pretending like evangelization is going to happen on its own if people would just pray more. And I mean, certainly you want people to pray more. And to some degree, since it's the call of all the baptized, it will happen. But does your parish structure actually help that happen? Right. right. Or is it actually getting in the way? Mm-hmm. Are you doing things that just don't bear fruit anymore? And if you are, you need to be brave and cut off that branch. And and those can be tough conversations to have. And oh, they say, are. There's a lot of sacred cows in every organization, not just parishes, and and people who are connected to that. And having those sensitive yet difficult conversations can be a real challenge, especially for a pastor who has 500 things going on on any given week. But to really take the time to go through 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 that with someone in that evaluation is. It's a big lift for sure. It is a big lift. And it's one reason that I usually recommend that it's ideal to get somebody else in on the conversation and to lead mm. the conversation, not to make decisions for them, right? Uh, but to just lead them through the process. And again, there are organizations that do that. Probably the most well-known one is the Amazing Parish does this very well, if people wanted to look that up. But, but there are other ones too. It is a big lift. And it's also hard to do from the inside. So having outside eyes can help a lot. You also talk about one of the models is the signs and wonder model. And and I wonder, as I read through the models, is that the one that people might be most uncomfortable with or <laughs> I might be taking them a little bit out of their comfort zone uh, because it's the it's the power of God that we, we read about and we talk about. Maybe sometimes we feel, but placing our trust in, in him is, is a whole different kettle of fish, right? And tell us a little bit about that science. And, and you had said in the book how you were at one point uncomfortable in a healing ministry, but then you kind of overcame that a little bit. Tell, tell us <laughs> a little yeah. about that. Yeah. Okay. So first off, when we talk about signs and wonders, not everybody will be familiar with the phrase, but it's biblical. It comes from the gospels and the book of Acts, right? And it refers to really how God has revealed himself in some concrete ways that defy any other explanation. We usually think of this in terms of miracles, but we can also talk about this in terms of just really big transformative experience, spiritual experiences that people have had where they walk away and they know that they are changed. They know that they are changed. So yeah, when I go into a parish and it's kind of like, you know, how many of you are praying for miracles most of the time, I just get this interesting question <laughs> kind of reaction to things. Right. Um, and of course, people will pray for miracles, you know, for people that they love, right? You know, who are really sick. Uh, it's, I'm not saying that we're against miracles per se, but do we pray for miracles for our parish and for the region that, you know, it, it attends to? So I'm going to say it's a hallmark of an apostolic church actually, to really desire and pray for and frankly expect signs and wonders. And I do think this Eucharistic revival that we're in the middle of now, it's like, I think signs and wonders are going to come with that. 
I think we should be praying for that and expect it because I believe it's going to come. Eucharistic adoration is a kind of sign and wonder that actually more Catholics are comfortable with than maybe some kind of praying for a complete and total physical healing, for example. My own experience that you alluded to was that I was miraculously healed uh, when I was in my 20s. That was a while ago now. (laughs) (laughs) But I I had lost all of my hearing in one ear and I was losing it um, in another. And I had a friend who's a priest who offered to pray with me. And I was like, yeah, I need prayer. That's for sure. Let's do this. But I thought that he was going to pray for nice, safe things like courage and peace. But instead, he was praying for healing. Um, And that kind of floored me because I didn't realize that he was charismatic. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Everybody said afterwards, like, how did you not know this? Like, I didn't know. Okay. I just didn't know. And the next day, I mean, nothing happened that day other than, I I won't say nothing, an incredible sense of peace, which I desperately needed. And I was grateful for that. And he suggested after a certain long conversation, keep praying for the healing. And I'd be happy to do that with you if you'd like, but you could do it on your own. And suggested a book. I went to a bookstore the next day. Lo and behold, there's that book. So I buy it. I go home. I read with it. I pray with it. And I wake up the next morning and my healing is, you know, 90% complete. Honestly, my hearing came back and this great big pop in my ear. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it, it was it was a wow, praise God moment. Sure. Um, but honestly, to that point, I mean, I was really bucking the idea. It's kind of like, that just doesn't happen nowadays. And I don't want to get my hopes up, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, God bless that priest who just passed away this year, because if he had mm. not initiated that conversation and been a little brave and offered that, it's like... I. I'd be in a very different place right now. And it opened my eyes to, as soon as I began talking about this, other people began saying, it's like, oh, well, actually, I know this story too with, you know, my sister-in-law. It's like, it's like the thing we never talk about as Catholics, that this does happen. Mm -hmm. It's a sign and a wonder. And we really should be sharing it because it's convincing to other people. It makes people stop and think, wow, God is like real. (laughs) 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 Even if they believed it beforehand, it underlines it in a really important way that we need in an apostolic age. We certainly do. And, and you know, it's so easy to not believe in it when you see what's, you know, when you start to believe into what you see in the media and in the world, and we forget about the bit miracles that have drawn us into the faith and even in our own lives. That's a, that's a very powerful story, Susan. I can only mm-hmm. imagine that at the low moments of your ministry or the times when you may have had a doubt here or there, which is human for all of us, that just going back to that, remembering how he touched your life so personally has had to be such a powerful motivator for you in so many ways. It's absolutely true. It's yeah. one of those things that you just never forget. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Well, Susan, this has been just an incredible conversation. I'm going to put links in the show notes of our episode where people can buy The Four Ways Forward. It's The Four Ways Forward, Becoming an Apostolic Parish in a Post-Christian World. Just so excited for you and and uh, for all of us to break this open. I, I think one of the suggestions I heard, one of the folks who did a review on the book said, this is a great book for pastoral leaders just to kind of work through and make kind of a little study group, just to kind of break it open a piece at a time and talk about how it how it impacts their own parish and how that that could, how this could translate for them. Yeah, thank you. I hope so. I mean, really the whole reason for writing the book was really to help parishes. It's 
because I, I like I began this whole interview is like nobody's against evangelization. No, we just don't know how to do it. Right. <laughs> but God, but God has been so gracious to us mm-hmm. in really lifting up the, these different models that have just been really bubbling up in the past 40 years. And I really think that we're moving into a period of revival. I mean, we, yep. we talk about this Eucharistic revival. It's kind of, do we take it seriously? We are moving there. And the more that we pray and study and work together and talk with each other about how do we open the doors to this happening, mm-hmm. right? The more powerful it'll be. I mean, I think it's an exciting time to be alive. Mm-hmm. I really do. It, it, this is not a period where we need to be down on ourselves. It's kind of like, oh, but look at this and look at this. Like, yeah, there are some hard things going on in our parishes. We've had a hard, honestly, past few decades um, as a Catholic church in the United States. We have. But we're, we're this close. I just, I, I can feel it. Right. Mm-hmm. We're this close to something really big happening. So let's all work on it together. Yeah. I'm so excited. And, and, and as am I. And you had said you wrote this during the pandemic. So talk about yes. bringing some light into a very dark time in our in our world's history, let alone our church's history. So, yeah, I like that's... I said, I had no filters by that point. <laughs> <laughs> I just put it all out there. It's like, look, <laughs> <laughs> this is how it is. <laughs> this is how it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Susan, best of luck with this book. I hope we'll stay in touch and, and hear how it can, how your work continues to evolve. I know you have other books out there and we'll put links so, so people can find you and find your good work and, and in the diocese. Thanks again for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been great. God bless. Thanks. I want to thank Susan for being on our show this week and for taking some time to walk through the four models and really discuss what it means to be an apostolic parish in a post-Christian world. What a great conversation. Susan, thanks for your sense of humor. Thanks for your expertise and and sharing your, your stories and your experiences of bringing Christ to the lost. It's something that is is more of what we need today, and especially as we talk about addressing a very different community, a very different world than most of us grew up in. So thank you again, Susan. We're going to leave links to Susan, her book, The Four Ways Forward, in the show notes of this episode, and would love to have Susan back on the podcast at some future date. Thanks again, Susan. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. If this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, I hope you're going to stick around and subscribe. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can find us on YouTube, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. And for more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com and find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you. Once again, many thanks to our sponsor, Changing Our World. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you have a terrific week. Take care and God bless.